0: Welcome to episode 19 of the Camerosity Podcast, the first ever open source film photography podcast. I am your host, Mike Ekman, and from Gainesville, Florida, an owner of Volta Coffee, Mr. Anthony Rue. How's things down there in the Sunshine State? Old. <laughs>
1: That's not supposed to be how it is. At least from Florida. We've got a couple of hard freezes this week, and uh, yeah, it's cold. Oh, man.
0: Falling iguanas, huh? Yep. Also, from Yellow Springs, Ohio, everybody's favorite enabler of gas, Mr. Paul Rybolt. How has business been?
2: Oh, business is boom, boom, booming.
0: <laughs> so is my gas, gas, gassing. <laughs> <laughs> next we have one of two people tonight from the land of oz from sydney australia mr theo panagopoulos are you excited about australia's chances in the lamp the olympics
3: considering we're a country that's currently in the middle of summer not overly exciting but uh, <laughs> it is interesting to watch
0: and for our final introduction i'll hand the virtual mic over to theo
3: yes um, i'd like to introduce uh jesse barra who comes to us from sydney australia as well and uh Jess is one of those unique people that can actually repair cameras and has a business repairing cameras. Welcome, Jess.
4: Hi. Hi, guys.
3: So uh, Jess, uh, we've invited you here as a bit of a special guest uh, this week to talk a bit about your business and about how you repair and, and a few of the trends. Uh, but I think we might do a bit of a, a introduction of some of the calls, and that way we can get some of the questions going through as well. Um, the first one, Mario, welcome back.
5: Thank you so much. Uh, Mario Piper, uh, Gen X Photography Podcast. Uh, I'm in uh, Vermont, uh, USA, and uh, really love being here. Welcome back, Mario. How's Sandler, Welcome. Hey, yes,
6: I'm in uh, Ottawa, home of the uh, trucker convoy protests in Canada. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, brilliant, (laughs) brilliant.
1: Are you going to have to mute yourself as the uh, horns go blaring by?
6: I'm not downtown, so it's uh,
7: it's fairly quiet in my part of the city, yeah.
3: And Mark Faulkner, welcome back. Have you got your suitcase of cameras with you, Mike?
7: I do, I do. I have lots of suitcases with me, apparently. <laughs> I'm in the Washington, D.C. area.
8: Um, John Gilchrist, uh, welcome. You can tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. Uh, I'm owner of Packard Shutter Company. I, hmm, I don't know. I'm a guy that likes cameras.
0: John is a fellow Hoosier like me. He lives about an hour east of here, so... Uh John and I have met m- many times. We talk quite often on uh on Facebook. So I'm glad to see you uh, f- finally have the opportunity to join the show, John. Thanks. At some point in tonight's episode, though, we're gonna talk about this box of cameras that John sent me. That's for later.
3: <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. And we have another guest here who's got a code name of C50-A. So I know who that either is. Either we've got a ro- robot. Yeah, I'm not
9: I'm not a Star Wars droid, I assure you.
3: Um it sounds <laughs> like I am. <laughs> My name is
9: Adam Paul, and I'm oh. uh visitor from Frederick, Maryland. Um, I do some sales and also some vintage film manipulation to try to get film to work in just about any format of camera.
0: Adam and Mark and I have been kind of in a circle of friends. We've been talking for quite some time. I've been hoping to get Adam on the show. In fact, Mario, you've purchased things from Adam before, from his Etsy store, right? Yeah. Yes. Hey, Mario.
5: Quite a number of roles of film. I, in fact, I just developed a role today. Unfortunately, I think I developed it wrong. Nothing showed up, but it's beautiful film nonetheless. I think it's the 2367 sound recording film?
9: 2379. 79. 78, 78, 79, yeah, 78. Beautiful film. Okay, I can try to uh, run you some more. I'm I'm going to be bulking up soon, and I'm just starting to work on some 126, and so...
5: You got 126? Yep. Oh, man, I just bought a 126 camera.
3: I think you just made Mario's
5: day. Well, I just bought a 126 camera, and I'm eager to shoot it. Okay. It's an ortho
9: film. It's a normal box speed. So it's going to be a really nice film for shooting. We're working any 126 camera, as long as you don't really have the automatic advance. So, okay.
5: Awesome. All
3: right. Let's, um, let's look back to to Jess now and uh, just maybe introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself.
4: Hey, so, well, my name is Jess. I live in Sydney uh, and I am a film camera technician. I'm self-taught. I became very passionate about film photography about five years ago when I was uh, doing weddings because I was really, really um, just fed up with the whole industry and shooting you know the same thing all the time. Uh, and I had a friend uh, that gave me a film camera and he said, "You go ahead, go uh, shoot a roll of film. It might make you feel a little bit better. Uh, I actually um, did the role and got you no know, one photo that was well exposed. Or either in focus or, or, you know, like not one photo in a whole role. And I had been doing weddings for five years on digital cameras. Uh, And that made me feel pretty crappy about, you know, being a photographer. Uh, And that started a pretty intense, um, I guess, um, obsession with film photography and film cameras. Um, I started approaching film camera stores and buying film cameras. Uh, And once you buy film cameras, you actually get a lot of broken cameras. Uh, and you start tinkering yourself and you start wondering, you know, is there anything that can be done uh, to make this thing work, you start doing your research, you start um, uh, looking into it and all of a sudden you have hundreds of cameras, uh, you're selling cameras at markets, you're opening up your own store and you're like fixing cameras for friends. Uh, and then you're opening your own camera repair shop. Uh, so that's that's in a nutshell, yeah. Um, a little bit about myself.
3: It's probably worth reinforcing that your your knowledge is also expanding through your university studies of um, in elect- electrical engineering.
4: Yeah, well, a lot of the cameras they're coming for repair now, especially this year, because we've been um, selling a lot more point and shoots, especially high end point and shoots are becoming really hot within uh, the younger community. There's a lot of a, um, there's a big trend of um, people wearing cameras more than actually taking photos. Uh, they like li- they like like the community and the feeling that comes with shooting film, but obviously they're, they're not very interested on the technical side of things. So there's a lot of pointed shoot cameras out there. But um, new things like mobile phones and iPhones and things like that, you can drop. You can drop in water. Nothing's gonna happen. But film cameras were not made like that. They have a linear for a reason and they, you're supposed to take care of them uh, while you shoot. And we're getting a lot of broken point broken point and shoots, a lot, a lot of them. And because of that and because there's nobody fixing them anywhere, um, I decided to study some electronic engineering just to try to get a gauge and see if it, I could actually repair these sorts of things. And, and over the last two years, the last past two years, I've actually started repairing um, a lot of the... Um, small but high-end point-and-shoots
0: like we talk in like uh the contacts g series high-end yeah, or
4: contacts like okay um,
0: the ones that are worth saving
4: the, yeah i mean th- this is the thing though there is like uh a lot of people uh have cameras that come from their parents and even though it might not be a really good camera they do want to save it because it means something to them so i guess it's, it's on a basis you know person to relationship with the camera basis um but um but yeah mostly you know mostly i repair high high end point and shoots and i i can do a lot of mechanical repairs of I've, I've always been a tinkering person as a kid my my, my entire family are engineers but I, I i wanted to be an artist i thought you know that's that was cool um and i i, I tried being an artist i study photography and i but somehow I find myself doing engineering now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's in the jeans by I the sounds of it.
4: It's in the blood. I couldn't <laughs> escape it.
3: With, with your photography, you obviously you're still doing photography from what I understand as well. Uh, what kind of equipment do you use on that? Is there a particular type of photography?
4: I do still do weddings, but I do them all on film um I do a lot of portrait photographer uh, photography I had a little dream that I would like to be a street photographer but to be a street photographer you have to be out there in the streets uh <laughs> shooting and not just like you can't just be like oh I'm gonna start shooting today and tomorrow I'm gonna be a street photographer it takes 10 years you got to be out there in the streets and figure it out what's a good light um <laughs> and so I, I'm working on that but um I think not even 10 years is enough time, you know, even if I was out there every day to be able to have like a cohesive amount of work that made some sense and was, you know, I could sell in some sort of, it will have to be probably my next 20 years. So maybe by the time I'm like, you know, 50 or 60, I will be able to say, maybe I'm a street photographer now. <laughs> um, but uh, I use all sorts of cameras. I I have the bag, I'm sure you'll, you'll understand. I love the tinkering part of uh, photography and I love the fact that, you know, they sound differently, they have different settings, they have things in different places. And I I find myself getting very comfortable with a camera and enjoying it and all of a sudden finding something else and getting very attached to that and so on and moving to the next one. And so apart from my dad's Nikon FM2, I don't really have a camera that I use all the time. And Partly because I'm always repairing and testing, so I'm also, you know, shooting pretty much every day different cameras.
0: We had a whole discussion a couple of weeks ago about uh, recommended uh, Nikon's, and the FM2 keeps coming up. The FM2 seems to be a recurring model on this podcast as a favorite for a lot of people, myself included. I, in fact, you can't see it, but I have one hanging from the <laughs> ceiling. Like, if I could reach the camera a little bit further, it's right here. Uh, but Howard had a question regarding Nikon, since we're literally on the topic now. Howard, do you want to ask your question?
6: Uh, yes. So, so you know, wh- people on uh, vintage camera forums endlessly debate uh, totally manual cameras, w- oh, well, with just an electronic light meter, like the FM two, versus cameras that have an electronic shutter or have more automation, like the FE two or uh, the Nikon F. Three compared to the Nikon F2. Are, are Is it really harder or impossible to repair the electronics on those cameras?
4: No, it's a, it's not impossible. There's definitely doable, but it, it, it does take a lot more time. We do we do charge an hourly rate. The, okay. the truth is that time is the one thing that none of us has. And repairing an FM2 in comparison to an F3, we're talking about twice, three or four times the amount of time uh, to get to some of the problems. I, I find that people learn more uh, with a with a camera that has less electronics than with a camera that has more electronics and more advanced metering because there is less trouble shooting so i'll say that maybe the fm2 or the Fm3a i reckon the fm3a is probably the pinnacle of 35 millimeter film cameras that's probably the best SLR there is and after that just the electronics they they add up to a lot of like the the they just, the parts last less time, less uh, amounts of shooting. So it's like the shadows only last like 15,000 shots. Like, you know, some of the electronics and the components inside would only last so many uh, times of current going through it. So for so I I favor mechanical cameras over electronic cameras, but there is beautiful electronic cameras that have very sophisticated systems that make shooting a lot easier.
6: Uh, thanks. What, what, one thing that I heard is that electronic cameras f- from later years, I'm not sure exactly when, but at some point in the early 90s, for environmental reasons, uh, solder uh, no longer contained uh, high lead content. That the solder after that tends to have a, uh, some kind of a creep problem where after several years, whiskers form and, and you get shorts. Is that true?
4: Yeah, that's very true. And you also, the later come, uh, the later as well, they use different kinds of components within the plastics around the cables and also these uh, soldering uh, and just the components in general. And just not, 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 nobody was anticipating that people will be using these cameras 50 years later or like even like 20 years later. When you buy a point and shoot in the 90s, the latest year they had was 2019 after that it it, for the day back it it rotated back again to 88 or whatever because they they were anticipating that people they didn't want people to use things for that long because they want to sell the next camera um that's why you know when you buy a camera that was made in like the 50s or the 60s you're buying something that it was meant to last 100 years and if you take care of it it will last forever there's nothing you can do like even, even if you drop it like, you know, it's made out of such a good materials and the manufacture the way that they used to be able to blow metals and bend things. The materials that they were using, they were just so much more durable. The clog works. Um, a lot of the stuff later in the 80s, beginning of the 80s, a lot of the parts become plastic. The plastics become frail over time. Uh, that's actually a big problem with the uh, Nikon FM2 is that some of the wheels on the inside are plastic. Same with the Minolta um, SRT 101. And the teeth, the tiny little teeth of these wheels fall off and they fall in different places where they get catch inside the shutter and they break your shutter. Uh, or just you know they get they get stuck somewhere and also they rotate on their on their own and you're like why is this not working?
3: Is, is there a um, issue getting parts for those cameras um, as those pe- parts break? There
4: is there is very little parts um, new. There is still like you can still find I uh, have some contacts in Japan and some contacts in Germany that do have new parts, but because they were wholesalers at some point and they still have. But just for certain models, for a lot of stuff, what we have to do is gather another camera looking for the part that you need. Uh, And when we're talking about frail parts, like plastic parts, um, that the plastic do become frail over time, we try to do 3D printing uh, with new plastics that are much more durable. I would like to, uh, at some point in the future, if I, you know, manage to get there with my businesses, buy CNC machines and create tools to be able to make more of these parts, because it's... a lot of parts that are just not available anymore.
0: You know, I, if only we had somebody on this podcast with a CNC machine that could speak to the viability of making some of those parts.
7: Yeah, that, w- that was the whole reason I bought a desktop CNC and I'm still, it's a big learning curve to figure it out. I'm much more familiar with 3D printing. I've done a lot of 3D printing of parts for my own cameras to work on. Um, but yeah, the the idea of being able to mill, like say soft aluminum at least should be very doable for a lot of these parts and they can be designed in such a way that you have minimal overhangs so you should be able to mill one side flip it over mill the other side and it'll work perfectly fine so yeah i totally agree that's a great way to to go about doing the part production
0: yeah is the material though like up to snuff though like could it handle the torque of of being inside of a camera, like a, a wind, like just mentioned the teeth. You know, so I'm, I'm thinking in my head, like a wind lever has teeth that could come sheared off. Would
4: yeah soft aluminium would definitely not yeah. be hard enough. Like we've, we've been doing some testing with some because um yeah we'll be doing some testing with some some uh, uh CNC machines and that's the problem is that a lot of them work with soft aluminium and soft aluminum is not a durable when it's something that's being used over and over. It's actually harder 3d printed plastics now that can be can be used on, on yeah on top of that. but not that wouldn't be as durable when it comes to like longevity of that plastic we don't really know how long that plastic is going to be non-fragile uh,
7: yeah because like n- nylon has some good properties for that but the, the longevity could be an issue although t- Typically, if it's inside the camera, it's not going to get hit by UV light. It should be a little better, but yeah, that's also an issue for sure.
4: But it's
0: promising, though, right?
4: Definitely, there is a the whole idea of me um, studying electrical engineering and electronics engineering is that I I have this dream of making my own camera one day. We're in the very early stages of creating prototype. And that will be my final, when I finish the course, that will be something that I will have uh, a small prototype um, for um, point and shoot camera. But I don't want to make something like you, I could go right now and injection mold something cheap. I want to make something nice. I don't care if I sell maybe one or two, (laughs) three or four, but something that, you know, something nice, something that you hold in your hands. You feel the
3: weight. I think if you achieve that, you'll you'll sell more than one or two.
1: I think, Anthony, you had some questions? Well, I was just, I mean, I'm fascinated by where you're going with this project, but to circle back to the repairs that you're doing now on the, the point-and-shoot cameras and the more modern cameras with the electronics, I'm just, I'm curious as to where you're seeing the failure points. Is it the, you know, ribbon cables? Is it, is it the solders? Is it the circuit boards? And of those, are there parts that at some point you're just not going to be able to fabricate or not be able to replace?
4: Well, there's not a lot of companies in Europe that can't um, make uh, ribbon cables. The the, the parts can be made. It's just, it's how much time and money you want to put into fixing a camera. It's the, the, the thing that is like non, you know, that makes it not viable is the time and the money that you want to invest into repair. Is it worth to the client or to me you know to repair it, but pretty much anything can be repaired. Uh, a ribbon cable can be uh, can be can be made. Uh, gear can be replaced, and we're finding a lot of cameras have the same the same problems. The ribbon cables crack over time. Uh, the electronic tapes dry over time, uh, and they they have no contacts. So LCDs stop working. The the wheels that run the wind and rewind mechanism. Uh, they crack and break because of the plastic become frail. And it seems to be like a constant similar over over, you know, most point and shoots. You get the same sort of uh issues. And they all a lot of them have to do with durability. Ch- things were not meant to be used. Point and shoots were not meant to be uh used like you know every single day and do 20 rolls. People, people back then they cherished their one roll of film. It was expensive, but they weren't meant to be used like uh I guess, at a professional level, when you're shooting, 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 and not turning it on and turning it off.
2: There was a period of time where we were in the U.S. for selling a lot of Canon AE-1s. And, you know, they were the first of the real mostly electronic type cameras. And what we found was that they had three problems that were all very easy to fix. The magnets would get dirty. The uh, shutter would squeak, squeal. It was very easy to lubricate them the uh the magnets were easy to clean with just by popping a bottom off and taking off a little plastic shield. but the biggest problem and the most costly was that there were uh some plastic screws in the or actually uh, posts on the top underneath the top of the camera and those little plastic screws would fall off or break off and drop down into the wine gears. did you see that?
4: yeah that happens it happens with most cameras that have any plastic, um, you know, components inside, so the pla- plastics become frail and then become lodged somewhere inside the camera. They
2: lodge down, and then you yeah, the, they lodge down inside. The, the owner thinks their camera's jammed up, the shutter's gone bad, and really, all it is are several little pieces of plastic. Not, plastic, not that it's they're easy they're to get out
4: inside the winding mechanism. Yeah, yeah it happens. It, it happens to a lot of cameras. It's not just a one. It happens a lot with SRT one. Whoop. Most SLRs that have some sort of plastic component inside, I think we maybe we're also coming to the time where those plastics have reached their expiry date and they're just becoming frail out of like, you know, because of the time that they were made and the amount of years that have been out.
2: Well, even with with rangefinder cameras like the Leicas in particular, when someone gets a Leica that the shutter is jammed on. The first thing that I always ask them to do is go look and see if there's a film chip on the base. Just go look, because usually there's a little sprocket of film or a little chip down there that's lodged in and that's keeping it from advancing.
4: We do find as well that a lot of the cameras, the reasons that they're not working is just because they need a good old CLA. I will say that's probably more than 50 percent of the work that I do at the moment is uh, people coming over to me with their parents' camera. And it's just the camera's been sitting there for too long the oils have dried up or, you know, or it was uh, put away with the battery inside and maybe it might have a little bit of corrosion and putting a new battery is not actually making any contact and you might need to, like, change um, change the cable to the motherboard or even just clean the area uh, for it to be able to make contact and then the camera works again. That's actually most of what we do. And a lot of the people end up being quite surprised and happy that, you know, it is not a major repair, that it's just the camera needing would
0: clean Mario had a question
5: uh, yeah mine wasn't about um, newer cameras with uh, you know electronics I actually got a uh, Gelto d3 camera mm-hmm. Yeah. But what I'm wondering about is um, what are some things that one needs to be concerned about? Since you do a lot of repairs, what are some things that one needs to be concerned about if one wants to open up a camera? Just some general ideas, because I've never really opened up a camera before.
4: <laughs> the, the thing is that, yeah, I've, look, I've opened over the years because I self-taught myself. So I've broken mm-hmm. a lot of cameras that that's just going to happen because okay. the in, in general, there is like like a general line on how to open a camera and where to start to have a look. A lot of the time you start by taking the bottom plate off but some cameras have a particular entry level, like entry side. And there's a particular settings that the camera has to be on before you can start disassembling things because then it's just gonna become help for you to put everything back on or knowing exactly what takes were meant to stack up together if they're not at the right setting or you're taking the things in the right order but for most of all most SLRs you just need you know good pair of spanners and some screwdrivers and you work your way through from the top to the bottom and then inside the camera but uh, like I said some some particular cameras have Guide and that's why, like websites like Repair Camera, um, film, uh, film repair cameras is a really good website because they have the manuals and some of them come with the guides on how to and what to do before. But I, I don't have the guide for every single camera, we cannot repair uh, everything, it's on a camera by camera basis. There is some cameras that we see a lot more, like A1s, K1000s, uh, SRTs. Um, you know, hassle, a, a few Hasselblads. I, I don't do Leica's. I just, I, there is somebody in, in Melbourne uh, that used to be a Leica camera repair person. He was authorized. Now he has his own uh, shop in Melbourne. If a Leica comes to me, I usually recommend him um, just because I, I don't have the tools. And, oh, that's another thing. Some cameras have proprietary tools to um, be able to open certain parts Um, and by you using a set of spanners or like you know or your own screwdrivers you might end up actually damaging the camera a lot more than actually fixing it or even getting it open as well when it comes to people dropping cameras to us they will bring a broken camera all opened up and be like can you help me now
3: (laughs) (laughs) a bag a bag of camera (laughs)
4: yeah about pieces it's like uh, i I used to do that i used to be i used to try to help people like that before but now i just don't because it it's just too, too time consuming unless you know unless i found something i really really wanted maybe for myself, and then they'd be like, okay, it's on in
0: pieces, now would you like to have it? So (laughs) how do you come up with the prices, though? Like, for example, on, I mean, I'm sure with a common camera like the K1000 or the SRT or AE1s, you can pretty much know what it's going to need, but when you get a random camera like a Gelto or some point-and-shoot Olympus, like you don't know until you get it open what it needs, you know, with a mechanical camera, you probably just need to clean it, you know, but with an yeah. electronic camera, like you said, you might need to resolder something. You might need to source a replacement part. So if I walk in your shop and I say, you know, I got my dad's old Konica point and shoot, it don't work. You know, like how do you even begin to give them a quote, like of what, it's even
4: f- so what we do is we have uh, an assessment fee so it's a 55 dollar assessment fee and that gets the camera open and tested that's usually an hour work i charge 55 dollars an hour uh, after gotcha. that and i am i charge for parts but i charge what the cost of the part is and a lot of the time parts are like 10 dollars 15 dollars or if we go into something where uh, the camera might be more rare to find, like if it was a contact T2 and it was the ribbon cable or the button cable, then it's getting harder and harder to source the parts and the parts are becoming more and more expensive. Uh, and before we could buy a broken camera, let's say from eBay uh, for a couple of hundred bucks um, and charge the customer for that uh, and maybe have some parts that like they will have some parts that they could sell back to us later on. But now you go to look for a contacts T2 broken camera and they want a thousand dollars so you have this conversation with the person when they come in you tell them that you know it, it, the potential problems when something like this is happening to this camera or what I know can be this and this and this that I've done before it has cost roughly between you know 190 and 280 dollars depending on the hours and, um, of work and you can make the decision once I've created a quote for you after the assessment.
0: So $55 assessment, and then they decide from there.
4: They decide from there. And gotcha. there is like, they don't have to pay any extra money. And a lot of the, like, you know, if it's a cleaning thing, we have a, a CLA for, you know, for point and shoot and a, a CLA price for uh, SLR and a CLA price for a medium format. And and so if that's what you're bringing in, and I open the camera and there's nothing wrong, it just needs to be clean. I call you back and I offer you the CLA, you know. I offer you the CLA if you want to go ahead. Uh, that gets added, so you don't really have to pay uh, the assessment fee again. It's just the assessment fee is for opening the camera. So some people already know that their camera is working, but they just want it clean. They don't have to have an assessment fee. They just pay for the CLA.
3: Is there a particular camera, uh, aside from the Leica, it needs tools or, or, or something that's very, very electronic, that a customer would walk in with and you would just turn them around and walk them straight back out because you just don't want to work on that camera.
4: I'm happy to fix pretty much anything. I, I really enjoy, I, I love taking things apart and putting them back together and figuring figuring out, you know, how they work. It's just, I can be inside a camera for hours, for days. Sometimes I don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there,
3: might, there might be an
2: exactor coming your way. <laughs> Do you like shutters, like Copal and Comper shutters, that sort of thing?
4: Uh, I also have a person that is, specializes on that uh, in Germany, and I tend to send things to them. I can do some repairs on couple shutters, but I just uh, I don't enjoy it as much as uh, uh, is the, the ping. i don't i don't enjoy it as much um because it's you have to be like very super stealthy with your hands and very good at keeping all those
2: how about glass lenses uh cleaning fun yes i i
4: I, I do glass i've actually just bought a focusing tester from ebay a couple of minutes before this uh uh, podcast started because uh it just appeared on the which uh, we call it Facebook groups, and I was like, you know, I have to have it. Uh, so yeah, because I, I I do do quite a lot of uh, lens cleaning and CLA.
2: Do you do you actually find a lot of lenses come in with fungus?
4: Yes. Do you lot. do?
2: See, I think it's a. It, it depends on where in the world you are. it's
4: like a breeding home. Like it's just. It, are you,
2: you're thing? in a humid area in the summer months? And, yeah. and, and I am too. I'm in, in the United States in Ohio, and it's very damp in the, and hot here in the summer. It's not dry. In the winter, it's very dry, but I actually don't see a lot of lenses with fungus. I, I see haze on, on a lot of even newer lenses. Yeah, I see me too.
4: Them. Yeah.
2: Uh, that's just outgassing from the grease.
4: <laughs> I think this does a coating thing, the haze. So depending on which coating they use, it tends to attract, some coatings t- tend to attract more uh, humidity than others.
3: I think, Anthony, you've got a question.
4: Yeah,
1: just this is a, one of the sort of the common themes of, of our show over the, the last dozen or so episodes has been working with with new photographers that are, are looking to find that good intro camera. And as somebody who's had their hands you know, deep inside all of these, you know which ones have the plastic gears, you know which ones... Might have had a reputation, but are actually not that well built. Uh, as somebody who sits there and looks at them, uh, what would you recommend for a, a, a new photographer that would be uh, a more robust uh, one that, that you know perhaps that with the CLA would stand up to you know be good for another twenty years?
4: Uh, Canon FTB, uh, Nikomad, Um They, they, they. If you get one of those uh, CLA and test it, it will last you another 20 years. You won't need to see it late again. All the parts inside are metallic. There is no plastic bits. And the amounts of electronics for the light meter are very simple. So simple that if they happen to fail, very easy to, to change. They can even, like a lot of the components can be even replaced by some other components now. For, for the money that you paid, because you can put any glass as well, like, you know, on a Canon FTV, you can put nice glass. FD glass is nice glass. You can find yourself some nice L.
3: It's very well-priced too.
4: Yeah, of course. But you can build on a collection of glass, but then the camera, which is, you know, also the camera is just a box. A lot of people get hung up in there, you know, this the, the, the camera is just the box that house the film.
3: Okay, we, we seem to have attracted another caller. Uh, Vlad has joined.
4: Wow. He
0: has a few cameras in the back.
10: <laughs> hey, guys.
0: Vlad, you, you're expanding to another layer of your basement, right? Like that room uh, you've Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm,
10: I'm doubling my uh, room capacity. I'm I'm pretty much maxed out at 1,200 right now. I didn't know what happened
0: was one day they were eating dinner and all their plates on the table started sliding to one side <laughs> because that side of the house was sinking into the ground. There were so many cameras in it, <laughs> so he had to, he's got to move it.
10: You're, you're laughing, but I think that is actually exactly
0: what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> His house is crooked because <laughs> of all the cameras on one side.
10: I, I, I am finding uh, like uh, cracks around the house outside, so maybe you <laughs>
4: there's. A- <laughs> truth in that <laughs> maybe it is true so how many cameras you said you had
10: um i'm close to 1300 right now and i'm pretty much maxed out on my shell space i have about 13 cabinets so i'm getting is this
4: something that you particularly like collecting more than other things
10: yeah it's all it's all soviet stuff so everything was made in ussr russia ukraine uh before soviet union after soviet union and during and anything was cyrillic writing on it so that's pretty much my topic
4: your
10: collection yeah Um, just but i i, I shoot Nikon oh. <laughs> film, film um i'm i'm an fm2 guy as well so i'm i use the fm2 with the 1.2 NICOR. the 50 and, mil 50
4: mil the
10: 50 millimeter yeah what is your and you said you also sh- shoot fm2 what's your go-to lens on Look.
4: i i do shoot with the 50 millimeter 1.2 that's, that's that's my dad's camera, so it's, uh, so it's yeah, amazing.
10: same same deal. And I, I bought a, a Nikon EM today. <laughs> just just to see if I can offset the the weight of the weight of the one point two, and if I'm feeling too lazy,
0: I will go on record. I like the EM. I think it's a fine camera. It fits really? really nicely in your hands, even for as for as low end of a camera as they build that when they made it. If the battery dies, you still get the one single shutter speed, like all the other electronic Nikon's of the era. Yeah,
10: you get like one ninety,
7: yeah. right, or one ninety, yeah. yeah. I completely agree. That's a great little camera. I kind of wish I hadn't given mine away to my, to my nieces to, to play with. So
4: It's also meant to be, like, it's a reportage camera. It was meant to be used and used and used and used and used and used. All the parts are very durable on the inside.
0: We had, uh, we've had a couple of Nikon guys on the show, and we were asking about... Oh, yeah,
4: that Nikoman, That's I recommend the Nikoman over the FM2, though. If it was like... Really? If, if you wanted something to last you forever, yeah. uh, the Nikoman. You can still use the same glass. You can still put the 50 millimeter 1.2 on that, but the the insides of the Nikon are just that much better built. Like What's the quality of the insides.
0: 1, What's 000.
10: the top speed on the 1,000 on it? 1,000.
4: Okay. Yeah. I mean, unless you're going to be doing a sports, why would you need 4,000?
10: Well, on on a bright day with a 1.2, if you want to keep the it wide open, you know.
4: Uh, you you. Neutral use, density uh, I filter. I use 20 film.
10: Well, <laughs> I, I use I use uh, 50 or
1: 100 most of the <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. <so.
4: laughs>
1: So, Jess, if you ever wanted to move to the States, if you didn't mind living in a basement in Chicago, I know where you can get, like, a lifetime job repairing Russian cameras. Oh, oh yeah.
10: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately, I keep, like, uh, losing my repair people, uh, either to various circumstances. So, but there's nobody nobody who wants to fix a lot of this stuff, or and if they do, they're like usually like, like peeps and people who work on Leicas and to fix like, uh, what are $50 in it, they'll want like $400 and I'm ah.
0: Didn't you get yelled at at Lee's camera repair once?
10: I, I did. He, he threw me out of the door.
0: There's a Chinese guy <laughs> in Palatine, Lee's camera repair, and, and Vlad walked in there with like a Zenit and he got cursed at. <laughs> <laughs> like, get out of here with this. <laughs> get out of here (laughs) that's funny i
4: mean like i said every every camera deserves to be fixed yeah it it just it depends what the sentimental work behind the camera is and how much you know time you're willing to put into the repair it's just that time is the one thing that we as as human beings we don't have much of it
10: i mean if you want to shoot some cameras i think it's not about like uh, when you pick up a camera and then you 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 pick them up now, like like 60, 70 years after they were made, and they're like they're crap, not one work. But in the reality is, if you see a la one, it's gonna serve you another like twenty years easily, and they're actually great cameras. I mean, and you, it's it, it's really. I think a lot of people are really quick to judge uh, the quality of the cameras by the way they, uh, the way they kind of the way they stayed. I guess I mean if they if they're on the shelf and not used. I mean, especially like Eastern Bloc stuff. Organic grease. I mean, that's all I have to say. It just hardens.
4: Yeah, it's usually just just uh, dried up grease. But the the reason the, the reason that I usually don't don't take on you know a lot of the Russian cameras because I don't have enough experience um, to fix them quick enough uh, for it to be profitable for me and good for the customer. You know,
10: they are way simpler though.
4: Um, but I know they're, they're, they're beautiful, they're be- I mean, they, they, they got made. Hundreds of thousands of them got made, so many of them got made. But also because a lot of the factories didn't have a quality assurance, like a Leica comp- like, you know, factory would have had. You can get very lucky and you can have a really nice Sorky, for example,
0: uh, like, a, like, a, like a copy, a Sorky, you can have one that is so good. And then the next one was built on Friday.
4: And, and smooth and everything and you can also find one that everything on it is clunky yeah. and won't work and it has a special way of like you know you need to wind it and things for it to keep working so it's
0: if we could find a list of all zorkies made on wednesdays those would be the ones to get yeah <laughs> well it's it's
10: all it's also different because anything that was made pre-1970 they're really high quality and after yeah. 1970 they basically that's when they removed the quality assurance and they're like just let's make as many of this as possible and yeah. that is when you get like uh, different quality cameras from the same assembly line. Yeah. And if you get like a 1960s camera, 1950s camera, if you CLA them, like a fat two, like that's a beautiful camera. If you CLA them, it's just like amazing shooter same with the Zorki 4.
4: Yeah, the Zorki 4s are really nice. I've actually yeah. had more than a couple of them. They're just beautiful inside too.
10: That and the the amount of speeds you get for a rangefinder of that age, it's just uh, phenomenal. I mean, it's it's an all-around good camera. I mean, the only thing it's liking is the is the, the lever wind. But you get it on the Zorki 4K, but you lose speeds. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> Switching gears a little bit, um, Howard
3: has a, a self-interested question by the looks of it.
6: So, I, I wanted to ask uh, what Jess thinks about, I think you mentioned copals or shutters that, you know, little things go spraying. So, I, I, this is the first time I bought something really not out of any practical reason. It just looked so good, but I, I'm sort of into Footlander uh, rangefinders. And some. I, I don't know if it was the, Mike Ekman or so, something. I, I read about Besomatic SLRs. And then from that, I found out that there's an even sleeker looking one, the Ultramatic, Footlander Ultramatic. But I wanted to know what you thought in general about these SLRs with leaf shutters that I, I keep hearing that, you know, they're untouchable and nobody will repair them. And now I have one and it has a shutter problem.
4: <laughs> well, that's the, the, the problem is it those need particular, um, they need special tools to be able to be open because a lot of them are open from the front. A lot of them oh, are okay. And you need, uh, once you are underneath inside the lenses, a lot of them need special wrenches that see that. But and they, some of them, I don't even like, just, not, just like they're not two, they're like three or four. And they see that particular places. And that's why people won't touch them because they just don't have the tools to get inside I of them. See. Um, if you do, I mean, I, I have some contacts um, that have some of the older tools, but then also like a lot of people do not want to share the tools. Mm. Uh, They might have them and they do not want to share the tools. And also for things like that, there is a you have to there is uh, there is a way of disassembling. You must disassemble this before you do that, before you do that, before you do that. And you have to put everything in order as you're taking it off and then assemble it, assemble it back in the exact same order. back. if you do any of the things, uh, you know, not in the same order, you will end up uh, bending something once you try to shoot the camera again.
1: I tried to warn him.
4: Yeah.
6: So, somewhat related so for people like me that have a terrible track record trying to go inside cameras on our own um when you have a let's say a shutter that sort of works but it sticks or it's slow a leaf shutter uh there's people that say yeah just swish it around in lighter fluid or squirt lighter fluid inside and other people that say that'll just make things worse but what, uh- what do you think
4: It just it depends once you get to to the gears and you can have a look because you could it depends. Is it is it corrosion, is it rust, is it dirt? You you could make it worse, like, but for the most of it, if it's oil, like you know, and the oil has dried up over time, and that's why sometimes it works and it doesn't, a small amount, very small amount of lighter fluid and working it off will loosen it up for some time. It's yeah. not, it's not a, this is, that's not a repair. That's yeah. like a patch. Yeah, yeah. It will, it will I mean, loosen it up for, for a small time so you can maybe finish the roll or you know shoot a couple more rolls. But if it's not a camera that you're gonna be using all the time, maybe just to enjoy it and then put it on the shelf. Um, but if you want to repair it, you must disassemble it completely. You have to clean. Because the way that those, that those mechani- mechanisms work, there's very small space for anything else. So even a hair or a small amount of Mm -hmm. oil or rust or dust will create some sort of friction that will make it not work at the right speeds or get stuck or things like that.
0: For someone like me, you know, on my site, I'm constantly reviewing different cameras, and there's some I only shoot once or twice. So over the years, I've taken some flack from some of the like, you know, full-time camera technicians that that you know, when they hear somebody dribbling NAFTA or something like that, and they're you know, they just cringe, and I and I don't blame them because I absolutely know that that's not the right way to do it. But when you only need to get one or maybe two quick rolls of film through something, it it can work but like like you just don't said- pay
4: a technician every time your camera right. if, if you yeah. do also if you do have a large collection like I see you guys in the back you know if you do have a large collection of cameras you don't have them that's one of the yeah. reasons that I've had it like re- looking inside my cameras and trying to figure out because I didn't have the money to get every single camera uh repaired or CLA um and then maintain it like working good because they will sit half of the time in a shelf
3: Plus, plus, Mike. Mike is also very well known that he takes a sledgehammer to the cameras after he's reviewed them. So <laughs> I
0: we'll did that one that. time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never live that down. He just
10: sprays everything with WD forty. Yeah,
0: yeah.
10: WD-40. And I just use ba- and I just use
0: oh, no, Please, well.
4: the one thing: do not never use WD forty in a camera. Like, <laughs> yeah. we actually have repair shops here in Sydney that do that. Can you believe it? we still we still have people that you they'll bring the camera and they will just spray with WD forty and it works for. Five minutes, and like a roll of film, but it will do so much damage the electronics.
0: What a lot of people don't understand about WD forty is it's not a lubricant. It's it's WD stands for water dispersion. It's actually meant to wick away moisture. Yeah, it technically can lubricate for a short period of time. You know, you have a squeaky door. You can spray some WD forty on it. And it'll be quiet for a short while, but once it evaporates, it's it's going to be even worse. And you know, if it's a yeah. door, it's not a big deal. But for something like it will a camera, also run
4: all those impurities into one spot and like collect it through. And uh, like I said, it it is terrible for corrosion. It, some of the chemicals inside WD—I'm not hundred percent sure what chemicals are—but some of the chemicals inside WD-40 uh, accelerate corrosion right. and can also create make contact on things that should not have current through
0: um and oh, electrical burn other yeah the boards and yeah it's it's terrible yeah do not under any circumstances <laughs> touch that up what do you recommend, uh, like Agfa cameras from the 50s and such used, you know, there's a like a little thing, people call it the green goo. A lot of their lubricants would harden and, and crustalize. So, you know, the Agfa Carrot is a camera that I really like and I've taken apart a number of times and the Helix is pretty easy to get out and it's usually very, very, very stiff. So I'll, I'll soak it in like some acetone or xylene or something just to dissolve all the old stuff. I'll get it super clean, but then you got to put a new kind of li- lubricant on there. There. And I've so, used lift, I've used lithium grease before, and it does work. But I know that that will travel. So what what's a good lubricant for that type the of? The best
4: thing to do is for you to approach the people at a telescope shop, and uh, that's near your wherever you live, okay. and ask them for the highest quality uh, telecom grease that they have. They will all all telescope shop will have very high end helicoid. Greece, that I will not go Greece. anywhere okay. yeah and it won't go anywhere and right. it, it, it and and you want a high quality one because you want it to last well. you don't want it to gather other impurities from metal. you don't want it to have some sort of acid inside that it could you know uh react back bad with the metals of your lens i
0: got gotcha. you um, but yeah but
4: if, if you if you approach any any um telescope shop oh, cool. they will they will okay. have. Re-
10: but do you soak it in gasoline beforehand just to get off everything get everything yeah yeah
4: i i I usually will use like a a mixture Uh, we have like a um we i do make my own mixtures when it comes to like cleaning solvents and things like that um i I have different different things that i use um, for cleaning some uh some lenses and some lenses have uh like another layer of it's not coating but it's like a plating like they're Plated around that area as well so you have to be careful that whatever you're using is not going to corrode that
3: and do you work on um folding cameras i think anthony might have a lot of interest in this one because he loves folding cameras but do you work on folding cameras like bellows and things uh
4: folding cameras i i have that i have done some jobs yeah uh i i there is a i have another friend in the u.s as well that um can make bellows for me and he's he's an old family friend that's uh, nothing to do with film photography, but he can make bellows uh, to like certain dimensions. But uh, there's, well, I don't do much of that because there is not, the people that are interested in those cameras, they're also people that are interested on fixing things on their own. Like if somebody comes, you know, like the cost of something like that, because it will be very time consuming, um, the repair will be lengthy because I will have to order, measure, order the, the part, install it. You know all that stuff. Um, it sometimes the cost becomes too greater for the client to agree to the repair.
0: That makes sense.
4: So I don't do as many, but I can do. But I don't do as many.
0: I'd like to ask John, um, John Gilchrist, you've, you take on the COA Flex, the, COA, the 4x4, 127 SLR, and that's a camera that is notorious for not working because it has uh, one of the b- most bizarre methods for cocking the shutter and advancing the film. Yeah, and, it's,
8: and... Uh, it, yeah it's, it's kind of an ugly one. Um, I haven't worked on that many of them. Um, I have one for Paul uh, sitting on the counter that I'm going to dive into probably this week it's not the worst thing I've ever worked on uh, but it is it's a it's a different camera for sure I don't know it's been a while since I worked on one probably six months or so
0: was is it more the lubricants that just dry up and cause things not to move or the parts get bent
8: it's it's that a little bit it's more that they get bent it's one that you have to treat it ginger gingerly kind of like a Kiev um it's uh, it's it's real easy to uh, uh, if you if you're used to working with like any 35 millimeter camera as an operator, you know you just crank the film and shoot and whatnot. With the KIA yeah. or with the with the Comaflex, you gotta be gentle and slow and gradual and make sure it doesn't. You know sometimes it feels like it's not gonna work and it does. And yeah. it's if after you've played with it, you learn the camera a little bit and you know how to how to advance the film and how to cock the shutter and when. Uh, it's one you have to. You have to really like the process because you have to pay attention to the process while you're shooting.
4: You have to shoot it in like a, is there like a, like a thing that you have to do before something else? Is like if you make, if you do something at the wrong time, it might actually bend something inside the camera. You,
8: you have to cock the shutter before you can shoot. And I can't remember if that raises, opens the lens up again or not. It's one of those complicated...
2: And there's a little lever.
8: Yeah, there's a lever on the side that you have to cock the shutter with, and it's it's a pretty stiff spring, but it moves okay, and you have to, you have to get used to it because it's one that it could feel like it's going to break or you're going to yeah. do something wrong. You're f- pushing too hard, but it's really... Yeah, that's just how it is.
2: If there's no film in the camera, you've got to slide the little lever forward when you cock the yeah. shutter, and if you don't yeah. do that, That's what really damages it.
0: You could break the camera without film in it. And then I think even after you put film in it, the process for cocking and setting the first exposure is different from the other 11. So it's like, it's a complete nightmare of, of a camera. Yeah. uh, yeah,
4: You
8: really got to
0: love
4: the camera to be that.
8: Yes. (laughs) But on the, on the plus side, it has a really nice lens on it. Yeah. And it's, it takes really nice pictures. I mean, yeah, you gotta be dedicated because it's, because it's 127 film to begin with so you know that's even a whole other animal with it
0: we had a whole episode on the podcast a couple of weeks ago it was the the worst cameras with the best lenses and i'd say that that definitely qualifies mm-hmm.
8: yeah yeah there aren't many of them around that work
0: can
4: i ask you guys what your favorite lenses are what's your favorite lens
2: my favorite lens is a 58 millimeter biotark.
4: That, that's
2: it's, a. Good it, lens. <laughs> it's, it's. It's. Mine's actually exactly
3: the same lens. But I think, <laughs> mine, mine's, mine's an M40 mount, though. Yours is an exactor, isn't
2: it? Mine's well, an exactor mount. Mine's a 17, a 17 blade. Yeah, so is mine.
5: Well, yeah. My uh, favorite's probably not going to be a very popular one Popular one here, but it's a Vivitar 135 millimeter uh, F2.8 uh, and Comina uh, made. Comine. Comine
0: made, uh-huh. made.
5: <laughs> so i love that i love this lens
0: my lens honestly you know people laugh when i say this but i found this one by accident it's the uh killfit macro Kilar d uh it's this weird little this is an alpha mount lens uh it's um 40 millimeter four centimeter f 2.8 they made this an exact mount, M42 mount, and Alpa mount, which is what this one is. And it's the only reason I have an Alpa adapter, because I don't have any Alpa cameras, at least not anymore. What do
4: you adapted to?
0: I have a Fuji um, X-T20 digital camera. So on my website, pretty much any review I've written since 2018, all of the beauty shots of the cameras itself, are taken with this lens on a digital so I am using a digital camera but I'm using you know a 60 to seven year old lens and the reason I like this lens is you know it's focused to infinity um and I'll have a picture of this on the podcast but it's got like a built-in like extension tube and it focuses down to two inches if you're shooting pictures of a camera and you want to get a far away shot you know you can put it as far as you want 10 feet infinity whatever but let's say I want to. I want to draw people's attention to the shutter release or something. I can get, yeah, I can get, you know, this far away from the camera without having to switch. Now, obviously, yeah, I could just use a macro lens, I understand that, but this is a lot more fun to use. Um, Plus, it's a preset lens, which I actually really like on digital is because I, I always, you know, you open it wide away to get um, with the digital cameras, they have focus um, peaking. Which will change the color of the pixels on your screen to yeah, see if you can get yeah. precise manual focus. And Fuji's do that really well. Uh, and then all I do is I, I always have the preset to about F8 or F11, depending on the lighting. And it's just a quick twist of the wrist, and it goes back down there. So always open wherever I stop it, open wherever I stop it. And I just kind of, it works for me, in my workflow when I'm out shooting beauty pictures. If I want to get real close up, I can get as close as I want, this and this. Plus, you know, there's the neat factor of, you know, all the p- pictures of cameras on my site are shot through a very, very old lens that not everybody has. But are there other lenses that could probably reproduce the exact same image quality? Yeah, I'm sure there are. But this one's definitely my they're favorite. they're not as
4: fun to use, isn't it? That plays such a big factor on my yeah. um, uh, loving of film photography, too, is the fact that some cameras and some lenses are so much more fun to use. Right. Than... Than pushing a button on a
10: digital camera and holding it down until you get a good picture. Ah, uh, yes. Looks like Vlad's yeah, that's a Helios, the Helios. It's a Helios 77M. 77M4, yeah. This, the Helios 77M4 is probably my favorite ones when it comes to Soviet lenses. Because they have a nice bokeh. Yeah, but this one has awesome bokeh and it's razor sharp. Yeah, you're holding your 44.2, right? Or it's a 44. 44.2. So Mario has yes. a 44.2. It's a great lens, great bulky, but it's very soft. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the 77 M4, it is really, really sharp, and it gives you okay. the same swirling. Oh, so 77.4, you said? 77 M4. 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 Yeah. 44 no, it, M7 also cl- comes very close to it, but this one is, I think, the elite lens when it comes to that.
5: Do they come in various mounts? Because I, I use mine on my my Pentax. Um, does it come with an M40C mount?
10: Uh it's the all M42. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm I'm not sure, but I think there was a K mount version of this. Cool. You're going shopping Mario. Cool. I know I am
3: gas.
5: <laughs> <laughs> like, yes.
4: It's it's an illness. Once you start, you
5: just I know, but my, my wife has it now. She just started uh, shooting film like three months ago and now she has like 18 cameras.
0: <laughs> you know, it's not a it's it's not an interchangeable lens, but regarding Soviet lenses, I really, really like shooting any Soviet camera with the T forty three triplet, the little like the SMINA's. You know, they're so like you would not expect to get anything out of them, but I am consistently impressed with uh the SMINA. Um uh, what's that little sideways camera? The Voskhod has a, a, a lens like that? Voskhod, yeah. Voskhod? I and want Smena, to say it right. Smena, yeah. Smena, <laughs> but <laughs> so Soviet triplets are, from what I've seen, are amazing. I wish I wish there, you could somehow or at least easily take that off and put it on an SLR. But if you ever get a chance it to shoot,
4: actually, there is a company in the US um, that is taking uh, Soviet triplet. Well, a lot of the Soviet um, uh, lenses and rehousing them for cinema work. Okay. They charge a mint. They charge, I think, something somewhere around the twenty to thirty thousand dollars for a set of five it's to. Too close. Too close. Just rehoused in in a new body. Um, uh, some of them, uh, there is another company that what does they is they move the um, the position of the lenses and the direction of the lenses to get a different effect, uh, and also charge quite a bit of. Um, <laughs>
10: Well, on the 40 442 you just it's you just flip it yourself i mean it's like a little ring you take out flip it and people do it all the time I actually i actually sell lenses on ebay because i i get a lot of them from ukraine and russia so I, a lot of the people get them for video for what i noticed yeah 442s okay. are like the really popular for video cuz you get this little uh, like bokeh balls on in the, the background that like it's very very popular a lot of shots right now i mean it, I've seen like I think there's some some Netflix stuff that actually, actually, I've seen that actually was shot with some uh, Soviet lenses. Uh, that That's that cool. has like it's it's a very distinctive feature. I mean, nobody not nothing else will give it to you. It's kind of like a soft with like little round around like light balls all on the background. It's very very cool. But if you ever try to do this uh, on the forty four make sure um, a lot of these lenses have the splitting marks on them and the back and the front elements make sure you don't get any cleaning marks because cleaning marks they don't show up on photos but in the video it's very very noticeable so when people ask me like can you use this for video like if he has any cleaning marks you say basically it's a hard no because i've had so many people return them just because of uh, all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but they are really creative lenses i mean i've seen a lot of stuff shot with them and it's very uh cool looking
3: Anthony, you 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 recently bought a lens, uh,
10: one of my other favorites,
3: which is the Top Core fifty eight one point four.
1: Yeah, I bought a camera just as a lens. The back cover of that uh, Top Core uh, is it fifty? a fifty yeah. eight.
0: It's a 1.4. I had to use my magic eight ball to predict that he would get it.
1: Yeah, it hasn't, <laughs> hasn't come in yet. I was, but I was going to mention that the, I love the BioTAR. I've got the same exact BioTAR that, that Paul has, but you know honestly one of my favorite films and i had to buy a camera just to be able to get this lens is the asahi takumar uh 58 millimeter 2.4 that came on the asahi flex 2 which is a heliar design and you know i load that camera up with a, you know like triax or you know an older style black and white film and it looks like it was a a, a film still out of a fritz long movie you know there's just something really magical about that lens and uh you know, as I understand it, only fits, Michael knows, does it only fit on the Asahi Flex 2?
0: Well, it's the M37 mount. So it'd be any of the Asahi Flexes, not just the yeah. two. They When they switched to the Pentax, they did make a prototype Pentax with the M37 mount, but it never was released. They switched to the M42 with the Pentax. So all the Asahi Flexes use that same mount, but it's not. You'd have to have an Asahi Flex to be able to shoot that limb. Correct. Or an adapter. And yeah. since it's 37 you can millimeter. Have an adapter, right? Yeah, K7 you can. They make them just a ring. right.
3: So the focal length similar is it? Yeah, the focal distance.
0: I think yeah. the flange distance is exactly the same. Flange
3: distance, thanks. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: But it's a it's a spectacular lens.
0: Yeah, they are nice. I shot um, an Azahi Flex two way. reviewed it, and the shutter on that camera was messed up. I definitely would have sent that to Jess to to take a look at, but it only worked <laughs> at one speed. I messed with it enough time to determine one speed worked consistently. So I put in some T-Max 100, uh, something I could do Sunny 16 using that one speed, and I never touched it. I only adjusted the aperture on the lens, and I got a really, really nice roll of images. And, you know, I wished I could have kept it, but that camera was a loner, too.
10: Is Zenitar 16 if you, you guys see this fisheye, if any of you guys use it, that thing is razor sharp. If you close it down, I mean, it's it, it's actually rated higher than the Nikon uh, fisheye because you don't get any purple fringing uh, like you do on a Nikon. So I mean, and and it's basically just close it down to like 11. You don't even have to focus it. That's a really cool lens uh, to to use, like even on digital. I mean, I've been using it like nonstop, and awesome, awesome uh, effect too. I mean, it's. I mean, it's really hard to describe, but it's like kind of softens the colors a little bit. Um, does it have I more contrast? I'm sorry? Does
4: it have more contrast?
10: It's not more contrast. It's like it, it almost like muted mute mutes colors a little bit, but it also kind of shifts the colors a little bit. So it's kind of it's, it's like most of the Soviet lenses do that. Like the Helios 44 does that, too. So you get this kind of like best of and maybe it's the coating that it has, mm-hmm. but you get this kind of like a Soviet feel, but it's incredibly sharp i mean on, on the f11 uh, it's you get absolutely phenomenal white wide wide angle photos i mean and they come like in both in and uh, in, in canon mount and nikon mount and uh, i think in the K mount and an m42 for what i've seen and you can still get them brand new so this is like a really a bargain for like a nice fisheye
0: i want to ask adam a question um adam You know, I've talked about him before on the show. Uh, He's like the ultimate film hacker, but he also likes kind of cobbling Franken cameras. And Adam took a... Now, I don't remember the specifics, but you found an old folder that was like, what, for 122 roll film, and you were looking for the right combination of lenses to be able to basically build, like, a pseudo-panoramic camera. Um, Do do you remember that one? Yeah,
9: I... um... Looking back, I was kind of on an obsessive hunt for a while to try to make some sort of a, a, large, a larger format, medium format, roll film camera that could do more of a panoramic or wide angle um, setup. And so I was constantly looking around and trying to figure out a way to sort of hodgepodge a couple of cameras together. And what I eventually wound up um, coming upon was the idea to take a... 122 camera, which had a bad lens um, or bad shutter on the lens and I couldn't fix it. So I was able to take the shutter out and I put in a, I believe it was a 90 millimeter, um, I forget the exact name of it, but they had the white winkle, wheat winkle or whatever, um, labeling to it, which means wide angle. Um, There was a 90 millimeter lens. And as opposed to using a 170 millimeter, 170 millimeter lens, which is typical for 122, I was able to kind of get a, a field of view that was sort of similar to a 25 millimeter lens on a, on a, um, on a 35 millimeter camera on a frame size that was if I use like um, adapters to using a 122 to 120 film. Was able to get like a 25 millimeter kind of wide frame, 6 by 14 sort of aspect ratio. Um, so sort of, sort of like a almost like a 16 to 9 kind of uh, image ratio that you get with a uh, HDTV, and kind of spanning out and catching, capturing in a lot more of, the in, of information. It's still a guest focus folder, but it's still very fun
0: so for perspective in case anyone doesn't understand what 122 is he's talking about an ancient version of roll film that natively shot images that were three and a quarter by five and a half inches wide so mm-hmm. figure basically each exposure is about half a foot wide rectangle and yeah. uh the f- normal focal length on a 122 lens would be something like 150 millimeter 160. I think would be the standard fifty millimeter equivalent. And you Mm -hmm. put a ninety millimeter on it, you know? So, you know, they didn't really make yeah, okay. So Adam's showing a picture of a 120 roll next to a 122 roll. And I mean it's it's very easily the thickness of your thumb taller. Yep. On almost two fingers taller, the one twenty two roll. So looks like an inch. Yeah. So I mean you're talking about a huge folding camera that he got. Now uh, Kodak bellows are usually rotted out though. So what, what brand? This was actually a Kodak camera. It was a Kodak. Okay. a yeah, there's, was well, there's one of the um, older ones, um, which had, didn't have the red bellows, but it had the black bellows, but they were still very sound. So you get a good old folder, even if the shutter and stuff is broken and usually you can just take them off. There's usually a ring in the back, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So the sh- the shutters and lenses come off really easily. And then you just kind of like, experiment with different smaller lenses and find out what their coverage is. I mean, some of them, I imagine you're going to get some extreme vignetting, but you found that right combination. And I think, and I, I've seen some of the, the, some of his work and it's, it's really, really cool. I mean, it gives, you know, you talk about swirly bokeh or soap bubble, whatever you talk about, all the different characteristics of lenses, you know, doing that results in some really off the wall images. Uh, Anthony.
1: Yeah. I just had a quick question for, for Adam since he's back. Um, I had a friend that came in and gave me, oh, let's see if I can put it here, a big bag of Gavert 116 from 1947. What are the chances that this is nitrate base and I should not, not have this in my office with all my cameras?
9: I don't, I don't think so. Most of the manufacturers had moved to safety acetate base, I believe. Well, I,
1: you know, I don't speak Belgian, but I don't see anything on here that would indicate safety film in any language
0: well well anthony I, I i command you to go to a dark bathroom in your house open up that roll cut off a little corner and then try to burn it and see what happens uh-huh.
1: <laughs> do, you want,
6: do, you want, do you want me to send you or, a role to play or with just just shoot it quickly
0: develop it
6: scan it and then burn the negatives
3: and just as a disclaimer this podcast takes no responsibility
2: your house try this at home kids we're pros yeah.
6: <laughs> the flame photography podcast <laughs> what could possibly go wrong in the florida climate that's
1: right should i get uh your address from mike and ship you a, a roll so you can play with it I, i'd be happy to yeah because i'm i'm curious I've, I've got like i've got like 10 rolls of it i'd be happy to take a stab
9: with it and yeah. um see what i can get the one thing i the one challenge i've sometimes had with roll films i'm sure we all have whenever we kind of take that thing is occasionally the backing papers will Paper. oftentimes kind of meld with the film yeah um and kind of leave you this very papery kind of look but um i've actually done some Gavert uh super chrome and it's come out pretty good oh cool so,
3: yeah, uh, Mario, you seem to have a question.
5: Uh, yeah, it's actually for Adam. Um, some of the most wonderful film that I've bought from you is the Agfa Enigma. Um, I I don't know what the, the year was, but I think it said 1950, expired by 1950 or something like yeah. that. Um, so my question is, that's, that's about the oldest film that I've ever shot. And should I ever come upon a role somewhere else? How do you know especially with the development part like i i understand um the ideas about how to shoot it if it's expired but developing how do you where where do you come at with your developing times (laughs) is it trial and error or what yeah it's
9: a lot of trial and error i mean typically i start to it's nice to have the luxury of a hundred foot roll or a 50 foot roll where you can kind of burn a couple rolls off and shouldn't I actually say burn a couple of rolls after we just talked about microwave. (laughs) But um, I can kind of um, do a couple of sets of brackets and do a first pass. I usually, usually my kind of rule of thumb is that I will start with doing a one to 100 uh, HC-110 with water straight out of the refrigerator pump and kind of keep in the refrigerator for 30 minutes, Uh, do a couple of agitations at 10 and 20 minutes and then see what I get. If the results come out very like, faint where they don't really see any dark any true dark tones then i might up, up the um ratio to one to 50 or something like that the same sort of time if i get to a point where i find that it actually turned out overdeveloped then i'll try to dial the time back so then i'll, I'll do a second pass and I, I may go down as low as 12 minutes okay. um, on a one to 100 at times you know but it's sort of a lot of trial and error uh yeah the challenges are with a single roll you don't it can If, if it's, it's tough, a 36 yeah. exposure roll, you can throw it in a half framer and kind of start to do a few brackets and kind of cut it off and see what you can do. Yeah. Um, the other thing is I found that a single roll of 35 millimeter, for whatever reason, the chances of it, unless it's been stored in typically like these sort of metal canisters or even cardboard canisters, is that the, the sidewalls of the 35 millimeter cartridges just don't seem to protect too well against um, age radiation over time.
5: Do you find the HC-110, because I've noticed on your, uh, on the various um, development charts or times that you've given, you list H- HC-110 quite often. Do you find that to be a good developer for older black and white films?
9: Yeah, it has the benzo, which is the fog inhibitor in it. So I, okay. I definitely tend to like um, HC-110. I like the fact that it can be stand developed. I know there's another benzo having um, film development solution called FA-1027. I use that fine for, typical eight to ten minute type you know agitation every minute sort of uh, development but when it comes time to doing uh stand development it just doesn't work very well so hc 110 really works well as kind of a for me an all-purpose um anti-fog developer for um doing both short res- you know short revolutions of six to ten minutes as well as doing the long haul of 30 minutes fa
0: 1027 that's photographer's formulary right yeah. yeah
9: yeah it's also known as um Clayton 76 i think is another oh, name. okay
0: do you have a favorite or, or a camera that works well for you for 35 millimeter when you're doing your, your bracket testing
9: well i kind of can't go wrong with a nikon f4 to be honest uh just for the simple fact it has a, you know i have a data back on here so i'm able to if the as long <laughs> as the film speed's not too slow kind of have some imprintation on on the side of the uh frames to sort of know so that way when i go back and i usually try to keep it in my in my head that i did a, a set at 32 16 8 4 speed 2 speed sometimes even going down into fractions of a of a of one for iso EI, eri rating but um it tends to be nice sometimes if you have a little reminder because sometimes by the time i get home i completely forgot where did i start at and i don't want to give the wrong information and realize that i thought i was shooting it at, at 16 but i was actually shooting at four and that's going to mess
5: mess it up for future um, I, I guess I do have another question. I noticed on your store, you, know,
0: you got to put another quarter on the machine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can I? Go ahead.
5: Okay. Just a real quick question. Um, I have a little tiny hit camera <laughs> and I noticed a, a while back you had some, some, uh, film that would fit this. Do you plan on having any more at any time? Yes. Oh, yes. good. Cool. Um, I've got uh, it. have The problem with the little film
9: is that when you buy the little film supplies, the little film supplies easily get lost. So I've been searching for my little collection of um, microtype 17 millimeter spools. I actually have a little sort of prop here that I used to actually cut unperforated 35 millimeter film directly in half to actually make the film 17.5 millimeters wide in the original spirit in which those, those cameras were intended. They were supposed to be that they sort of based upon scarce materials and what have you, that they were designed to simply use about a a nine inch strip of film, a 35 millimeter film. that was just basically bisected in half to make it 17 and a half millimeters wide. So they can be really great cameras. I've, I've
0: shot a a micro and I actually really loved it. I think Mike recently picked up a tone. Yeah. This thing's real neat because um, unlike most of the hit cameras, this one lets you not only focus, you can, it has a full focusing lens, but it's got three shutter speeds 25 oh. 50 100 and bulb so to get three shutter speeds actually it has an iris too so mm-hmm. i could stop it down to 35 45 3, 8 and 11 so you have it's it's essentially a full functioning mechanical camera but in the hit size mine is not <laughs> what do you do for backing paper adam do you cut your own just out of
9: I usually have to cut my own. Um, the backing paper that they tend to use for those, um, even though it says panchromatic, so you think that it's going to cover, you know sort of counter everything. I've tended to find that I, I when I try to do color in, uh, you know, a roll of color. One time, I was getting a lot of push in through the through the red window, even after putting an additional layer of uh, of ruby lith over top of that red window. So I, I've found that I really have to make my own backing paper and number it. Backing paper is an easy thing to do as long as the film format is less than 120. It's kind of tricky. You can't really make backing, you know, there's plenty of supplies of 120 backing paper that you can kind of uh, cut down to 127 width or any other width. But once you start to go up from 120 to big film formats like 116, 122, you're...
0: And a lot of people don't realize that 120 film and 120 backing paper, the paper is actually a little bit wider that mm-hmm. they are not exactly the same width because there's an ever so slight amount of overlap that that paper has to protect the edges on the spool. Yeah, Theo, were you going to ask something?
3: I was just going to ask Jess. Um, since we're talking about those miniature cameras, do you get many of those here in Sydney? Um, people using those kind of cameras? I
4: only have one that my brother gave me as a gift. I've never shot it. it does have some He also it came with like a handful of little rolls that were and some foil paper. I, I have never shot it and I'm just I was right now trying to figure out if I could remember where I put it because it was one of the drops that I cleaned last week and I was like, it has to be here somewhere.
3: <laughs> All
9: camera, small yeah. film gets
4: lost. <laughs> but easier. I have In never I have never repaired one if that's uh, if that's the question. Right. So right. we've
0: picked we've picked Jess's brain so much uh about her ability to repair cameras but i'm on your website viva la com, and i mean you're also an artist too i mean you also do take your own pictures so like what what inspires you for yourself you know i know you said the fm2 you use a lot but i mean do you like getting into obscure expired formats or old films or anything like adam or any of us
4: Oh, yes. I, I do have my, my little box off if you give me a
0: second. Um, I'm wondering if we, we could have Jess on the show and we inspire her gas to go out and order something. While we're talking about it, Mark, you bought something on the last episode, right, that just showed up?
7: Yeah, I uh, I bought a,
0: uh,
7: a Pelix because you were Pelex. showing one off and I also yeah. got the little uh, Waste finder in waste viewfinder Ford as well. Very cool. So, yeah, looking forward to shooting that one.
4: Yeah, I, I do like Testing and trying all sorts of different. There
3: you go. Jess is showing us a basket full of um, lovely film.
4: People know that I I am into sh- you know shooting film and um, weird weird film types. And whenever they find something in their garage or uh, or their grandpas find something, it ends up here at my place. Um,
0: mm.
4: But a lot of the times the things are dried up. That doesn't it doesn't matter how much you want it to work.
0: Polaroid, yeah. The Polaroid. <laughs> yeah. This
4: is the. This is, was the, the special 70 that you could actually uh, play with after you have shot. You could scratch on it and um, make it look like it was painted. Uh, but it is, it's, it's way past its dry days.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and, and do you find when you get since you're buying some cameras too, are you, are you finding that? Um you know, found film with other people's pictures in there occasionally?
4: Yeah, uh, because I, I, I don't know if you guys know, but I am, I'm, I'm also have cameras that do film lab. as one of the film photography labs here in Sydney. I do get to develop my own film in there. So whenever I find a camera that has some film, uh, I will use the remaining amount on one of my cameras and then I'll also um, develop the role. And I, I have found some pretty interesting... Um, photographs of Sydney of like maybe the beginning of the century, like uh, when the bridge wasn't built yet, which is, uh, that was really nice, um, a glass plate. Sometimes when you buy cameras, you know, like large format cameras, they will have still the glass plate inside, the last glass plate. Yeah, I I, I I do try to develop everything I everything I find.
0: Well, I have to be Mr. Unpopular as we've reached that <laughs> point in the show. We do need to wind down, but I like to go through we have twelve people on uh the grid here, so it's a nice perfect rectangle and zoom. Uh if, let's go around the room. Has anybody gotten anything recently they want to share or any new pickups or anything that they're really excited to do? It looks like Mark's the first one to hold something up. What is it? Uh,
7: debris Debris Sept. Uh, which it's a motor drive, motor wound, and shoots singles, and you can also shoot uh, movies with it as well. And oh, this one wow. was, it was it was missing a uh, it had, came with one cartridge, it was missing the other one. I three D printed the other cartridge. I'm still finagling that and testing it, it out, to, out to make sure. Now, yeah. how old
0: is that camera? About
7: this is this is about the early 1920s. Okay. And it shoots thirty so five millimeter film, um, but yeah, it's it opens up here, and I've got just a test test roll of old film in here. Like, so this is the this is a three D printed one up here, and the original is mm-hmm. down here.
0: Looks like eighteen by twenty four. So it's a it's ha-
7: it's a half frame. We call uh, it half frame now.
0: Back then, that was just normal frame. Normal, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool, very cool. Uh, Mario, Mario's got his kilto.
5: Yeah, I I really love using this camera. I've shot uh, shot two rolls through it. A one one twenty seven film. And one uh, 35 millimeter roll that I red scaled, and I really like that that roll, how it came out. But the only thing that I'm worried about is the um, the shutter speed. It's a little sticky, the shutter yeah. speed dial. So that's why I was asking about opening cameras and you know feeling comfortable about that because I want to try to get to the bottom of it. But I don't know if I should just send it away or try to do it myself. You know, look into it myself. But anyways, <laughs> I like the camera. Cool.
0: Who's next?
10: I I got uh, very two really cool cameras. These are oh, the TS-VVS TS prototypes. Uh, so these cameras are very mysterious. I mean, there, there's a minimum a couple of thousands of these are made in 1948, 1949, and nobody knew where they were made. they are like a super mysterious camera. And there was a book that said that some of these cameras uh, were made in Germany by the order of Soviet Union in, in Freiburg, Germany, but this was never confirmed. So now I had I bought this from a collector who went to Freiburg and bought and found this for 50 euro for both of these in some kind of small junk shop, and he just he just he just picks these up, and these are no name cameras; they don't have any engravings because usually they have this TSV-VS with like a Soviet Mm. star uh, star engraving, and one is a chrome, one is a chrome, um, metal, chromed, and one is like a muted kind of chrome, more like nickel. I have never seen uh, the Chrome version before. And this is, this these. I mean, these are no-name cameras. So I think that at this point, we've pretty much proven theory that we, these were made in Germany and not in Russia. Like So for, for people at home, he's
0: out. holding up, they look like Zorky Leica copies, but that's that's not a screw mount, right?
10: No, oh, no, this is actually a context mount. So this is like a Leica with a context mount. That's um, cool. And, and this beautiful. is uh, definitely a German-made camera by the order of USSR made for uh, topographical service. And these were given out to uh, high ranking officers because there was, they made so few of these and uh, th- these came with a Zeiss lenses. This one, this one came with, a, so this no name came with a Tessar. Uh, this one did not come with a lens but the regular versions come with a uh, sonar. It's a, It's a F2 sonar. Lens, uh, and I just found one and kind of found the serial number range in which the usual are mounted on the regular series. I just wanted, I, I don't That's like to cool. have it on, on the shelf without the lens, so um, I, I put it together. So, I think. And there's an article that I wrote on one of the in one of the groups. I don't know maybe if some of you guys seen it. That basically that proves the theory of the German origin of these cameras that has been debated over I would have to say last twenty years at least.
0: Cool. So that's so the thing. Wow. It's a
10: really cool discovery.
1: Well, while I'm waiting for my Topcon SC Super to show up, my, my small victory is that I just saw over on Instagram that Jeff from I Dream of Cameras rushed out and got a Voigtlander Perkerro One after hearing us talk about it on this show. And I I think that's a a small victory that, you know, another Picaro has found a home with
0: somebody who's going to appreciate that camera. And you get a 13th image in every roll. Yeah, those are nice. Howard, you had something.
6: Well, yeah. So uh, other than the Ultramatic that doesn't work, I I bought two cameras recently that work. Um, I just got this today and everything seems fine. It's a Ricoh 500 with the the second version with strap lugs Uh, and the, sort of cool bottom mount uh, uh, trigger winding, I guess it's called, and the little teeter-totter thing. Uh, I have a Ricoh uh, Diacord, which is a TLR that has the The teeter-totter thing. Yeah,
0: that was their thing. It sort
6: of goes with that. Uh, The other thing, I don't have it here. Um, I bought an Agfa Ambi Select uh, because it has interchangeable lenses. and, And this one came with a 35 millimeter lens, which is a focal length I really like. I shot a roll with that. Haven't developed it yet. It all seems to work. I need to adjust the rangefinder. But uh, the ergonomics are not—they're nice, but they're not quite as nice as the Super Selet. Just because the the uh, the rings are very very thin, and it's kind of hard to tell whether you're adjusting the aperture or the shutter speed by uh, by feel. The uh,
0: I've shot the Ambi Selet with the wide-angle 35 millimeter color Ambion lens. And I agree with you that the focus and aperture rings are very thin, which does affect its usability. But to be fair to the camera, that's just unique to that one lens, you get any of the other lenses available for the ambi select and they're better in that regard.
6: The uh, super select has a slightly bigger uh, viewfinder, but but the ambi select is no slouch. It, it seems to be a
0: nice camera. Very cool. Very cool uh adam is you got anything new yeah well me.
9: i haven't really got anything new i've sort of been trying to revisit some of the things that as we all do kind of do we forget about that we have right one of the little oddballs I've, i'm interested in picking back up again is this uh univex which oh, yeah. is
7: a um is
9: pretty, pretty popular collector's camera for the some of the art deco styling but it's actually a fun camera to shoot with um particularly given that it shoots a negative on uh 31 millimeter wide film uh the negatives are actually 28 by 38 which is actually larger than 35 millimeter and it folds down to the size of basically a a matchbox so and those came in a bunch of different colors too didn't they yeah they they, there's a number of varieties they even had like a girl scout variety i believe um that's very cool
0: yeah
3: i'll save mine for the next show um mike uh, because i've been shopping in paul's shop Um, which uh (laughs)
0: you can do it tell them how you got the this
3: this one yeah actually the story behind that is um my my wife said oh valentine's day is coming up uh why don't you jump onto your friend co-host's um shop and and buy something for yourself and that's your present so um, i didn't i didn't need a second um invitation to do that and um paul was contacted very
0: promptly nice uh jess did you get anything new uh i got even these a
4: couple months ago um uh, and I, I heard you you have your one coming. Oh, the
0: tapka. It ton. was, there
4: it was just the yeah the R E super version with the fifty millimeter one point four, and also the one thirty five millimeter
0: f two. I think. Does that not have the smoothest film advance you've ever felt? It,
4: it no, it, it is. It's just it's very smoothest. very just smooth. Very, they're very all smooth. like
0: that. Somehow they've managed. Like I mean, some any camera can get grit. You know, over time, but those top cons just seem smooth even after all this time.
4: It is very well made. You can tell ev- everything is machine perfect. Yeah, that, that was a gift from a customer. I I tried to give them I tried to give them some some money for it, but they just they they, they didn't like the camera. So
3: I'll I'll lend you the thirty-five millimeter and the hundred millimeter, which are very classic lenses on that um, camera yeah. as well. Nice. Uh, to have a bit of a go
4: and um just um i just gotten some of my freedom back because uh, my daughter started school so i've've been pretty much a you know um, a mom at home for the last five years but she started school two days ago so i'm gonna go back to doing some street photography every day uh and i just i, I, I like shooting with my uh 50 millimeter f095 very nice <gasps> oh the- and on digital uh, I, I i'm this is not going to sound very, very film, film oriented, but I like using my uh, uh, Canon um, digital camera adapted to to this lens.
0: That's a lot of money right there. You're holding those are not cheap. Yes, <laughs>
4: <laughs> I got lucky. I got lucky. Also, I got
0: yeah. very lucky. Very cheap. Real, real quick. I want to poke Vlad's gas and show him a black knicker mat. Oh. If you're going to get, here's my tip. I agree with everything Jess said about the Nikromats. They're all fantastic. However, the FT2 and the FT3, you can tell the difference because it literally says so in front of the serial number. These are a little bit better because they were designed for silver oxide batteries. So they work with 1.5 volt batteries, whereas the FT, uh, the original FT and FTN, they use mercury batteries, which you, you still can get
4: it converted, we do you can. the conversion. You can yeah. get
0: it converted but without having to do that the FT two and FT three already come ready to go for the silver oxide battery so you're, you have a better chance of getting a meter without. Having to get it certified but otherwise they all are really, really nice, but the one thing i'll tell you for the first time user of these cameras beware it's like an Olympus the shutter speed dial is around the collar. Yes. There's, there's yes. no dial on top. So that is and one thing. a lot thing of
4: the time that... oh. the ASA um, is a little bit
0: sticky. You're right. On and one more annoying thing. I, I know I'm promoting a camera and ripping on it, but when you have the shutter speed at a certain point, it covers up the uh, lens mount release button, which I think is kind of weird, but. And, and the mirror lockup.
6: <laughs> I was doing, I had an FT2 uh, when I wanted to do macro and lock up the mirror at around uh, half a second, one second shutter speed, uh, the tab is right. there, or maybe it was the focus tab. Something is right in front of of the uh, mirror lockup knob, and and it is annoying. But other than that, it was a great
10: camera. Do they take AI lenses?
0: The FT3 is AI. It is. Yes. Yeah. So you you can get the FT3. It has the AI. Uh, the FT2s and earlier use the the rabbit uh, the pin. So if yeah. you if you want to use an FT a Nikkor With AI lenses, get the FT3. So it not only has the silver oxide battery support, but it also has the coupling for the AI lenses.
8: Doesn't one of the uh, Nickermats have the battery behind the mirror? That's the FT2, FT3. Yeah.
0: No, that's not true. That's the the EL, isn't it? Only the EL.
8: Oh, it's the, the EL. EL. Sorry, it's the EL. Sorry, you're right. Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah,
0: the one with the engraving on
8: the top yeah, is the that's, that's like the most ridiculous place for a battery ever.
0: You know, I a lot of people hate it, but honest to God, it actually works really, really well because you lock up the mirror and then there is a little compartment. All you do is slide your finger and then the battery pops out upside down. So you pop out the battery, you put it in. Another nice thing about that location is that like – how many times have you found the right size coin to change the battery compartment? Uh, yeah,
8: it's better than a coin, but it's just its just really non-obvious as to where it, it is. It is
0: weird, I will, yeah. If you don't know, you would look at this camera and be like, where the hell's the battery?
4: Well, I've actually had people come in with that camera thinking that the camera was broken because they couldn't find.
0: Right, so the EL and then the EL2, but the EL2 was no longer called Nikromet, they just called it Nikon. It's got the battery in the same location, but it's mm-hmm. the same body. Yeah, the mechanical uh, knicker mats, they come in black, they come in silver. The the mechanical ones have the shutter dial around the collar of the, the lens, which isn't a big deal. I don't think it is. It actually allows you to see it through the um, viewfinder. You can actually see the shutter speed, which is kind of cool. Uh, but it, it is not on the top plate like you'd expect it to be.
1: Glad there's a, there's, there's a black uh, FT3 for $75 with the lens. I mean, that's like a Leica lens cap.
0: Get it? That's a good one. Come on, see
3: everybody on the screen going for it right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> bit fastest? What do you got there, Paul?
2: I got. I'm just taunting you with it. Where's the battery on this one, Mike? I
0: don't know what camera that is. Nick-o-mat. Oh, that's the F. That's the FS. The FS was the only Nikkor that didn't have a meter.
2: Oh, no mirror lockup, no meter.
0: It's essentially the Nikon F without an re- interchangeable <laughs> viewfinder, no meter. You know, they just said, all right, we're just going to release it in the Nickromat Batty with no meter for whatever reason. I I don't even know if those were sold in the U.S. I think that was a Japan-only camera.
6: I'm not sure. I I bet they cost
0: more than FT2s. Now they do.
2: They sold sold more than FT2s used. Mm. They didn't make very many of them.
0: My my recent pickup was a result of talking on a couple different podcasters. Sherry was asking about the Sat, and I kind of shit on it a little bit. Uh, And I regret doing that because I picked up one of the Sats with the interchangeable lens mount it's actually an m39 mount um but it's not the same flange focal distance but this is a really really neat little camera uh it's it's kind of basic has a limited number of shutter speeds prone to relief shutter but it's made by braun very symmetrical camera it's very compact you know sitting in my hand i mean it's a very palmable camera so i haven't quite shot it yet but um i'm actually really really excited to shoot the pack set think this is called the 2A, but I, I don't know for sure because I haven't done a lot of research on them. And then I mentioned at the beginning of the show, John uh, Gilchrist works for uh, Gene's camera in South Bend, Indiana. And he, he, I, I'm kind of angry at him because he sh- first showed me all these freaking film 690s and 670s and, and stuff. And I'm like, oh can I touch one? And he's like, yeah, we're selling them at, you know, eBay prices. He goes, but I do have a whole box full of APS cameras I could send you. And I'm like, all right, you know, hey, I'm not going to turn something down. But he sends me a box of all these, like Minolta, um, you know, here's the Vectis 20, a Canon ELF, which was this cool little all metal aluminum body. I got a Nikon Pronea SLR. I got the Minolta Vectis SLRs. And like whoever you got these, you got these from clearly never used them because they're all like in mint condition.
8: And yeah, some of them were, some of them looked like, yeah, like they hadn't been used, but these, those are actually a bunch of APS that we had collected over the years. Oh, really? Okay. Because no, nobody wants them. So we- nobody was, wants them. Now, yeah. that I
4: know, now that I know that you're in, it, I will send my APSs to you.
0: I'm going down this rabbit hole. I've spent the last like three days looking at old popular Photography magazines, like researching APS, and it's making me like I actually genuinely wanted like shoot more of that film. But for one, the they only made it in color. The only black and white APS film was actually the C forty one black and white. So you'd still C forty one. It ages terribly. You know, it had a APS film had a very 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 thin base. So it just does not hold up well, and like places like Dwayne's Photo in Parsons, Kansas, will still develop it for you. But I mean, you pay a lot of money for it.
8: We'll process it at Jeans.
0: Oh, you will? Okay, maybe that's we, we better will. than we
8: will. We don't do the. We we have to snip it and run that's it through fine. the machine, so it so it yeah. doesn't go back into the into the cassette.
0: Yeah, um, okay. But we can process. it. But I mean, it's every step of the process is the problem is. Uh, the film usually doesn't last long you struggle to find places who will develop it and then even when you get it back it I, to scan it because I use a flatbed scanner it doesn't fit any film holder because it's 24 millimeters wide so it's 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 a huge problem for me to shoot this but I can't help myself <laughs> and I've been going yeah. down the APS wormhole so I mentioned I mean, that at the start of the in show
4: earlier about do film lab does develop and scan APS film
0: okay that's um, good to know.
4: But- but it, we're
3: all the way in Australia. <laughs> That's good to know for me, actually, because I've been meaning it. to show well, APS. Maybe I can send
4: you my APS
0: cameras.
8: <laughs> <laughs> no, what am <have> I done?
0: <laughs> uh, did everybody get a chance to talk?
8: I got. I got one last real quick thing for Mario. Um, you're using 127 film in the Gelco. Um, if you slit your own from 120, the film that you have left is about the right size to go in your start camera. Really, it's about six yeah this piece is about 16 and a half millimeters wide so you okay. get if you slit 120 you get 127 and hit. okay so wow you know, that's
5: just cool yeah
8: yeah i mean like this is this is trashed of course but you know that's like what 10 loads for a hit camera well
0: that's, that's a good lot. to know yeah you just need the paper but it, you have the right well right there right yeah you have yeah.
8: got this right, right it doesn't have this doesn't have numbers on it but it's you know, I slipped the paper and everything. So yeah. cool. That's you just have guy. you'd have to you'd have to waste a bit and count count turns and figure out how far you gotta go. that's totally fine. That's,
5: that's cool to know. Thank you. Sure. That's a good tip.
0: All right, guys, thanks so much. This was super fascinating. Jess, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I hope, I I know I learned something. I hope everybody else did too. Uh, Those who have yet not heard this episode because we haven't posted it yet. Uh, But as usual, I'll get them on uh, in a couple of days up here. But Jess, I hope you learned something too. Oh,
4: I I learned heaps and I'm so happy to have met you all.
0: Great we do these episodes every other week um so our next show will be 14 days from now so uh the 21st of february we're gonna see what we can get on for that show uh but thanks everybody for coming you guys have a great day thank you so much um, bye everyone thank you very much I've heard that to fix Zenits, all you need to do is just give them more, like, bacon grease, you know, animal fat. Just kind of shove them in there, and that'll lube them, nice it up.